Hello, everybody, and welcome to Inside Physician Recruiting. I am your host, Jerry Lamonta, and I am here today with definitely one of my favorite people in the entire industry, Tammy Hager. Uh, Tammy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's so good to be here, and I appreciate you having me on. Of course, of course. I, I wanted to have you for multiple reasons, but you have a very unique background that I think lends itself well to kind of giving a unique perspective. You know, I know you've obviously been with a, a major multi-state system. You are with an even larger footprint group and you've had, you know, some time over on the, I guess you sort of the lead management marketing side. So really just curious how you kind of moved in between those different arenas and you know, what, what your thoughts are on kind of comparing those, those different. Yeah. And, and every role has been so different, but my original background was actually running practices for healthcare systems, um, a major healthcare system back East. So I was in the operations side. And when we were looking at um, joining with Virginia tech to have a new medical school and then go to a clinic model, um, the recruiter that we had for our organization reported up to me and I knew we were going to have to do more than we were doing to recruit the number of physicians that we needed. So I uh, reported directly to the president of the group. And um, I'm like, you know, we've got to do something different. Let me go to Cleveland Clinic and kind of understand how physician recruitment's done. Because I had a lot of contacts there on the operations and the recruitment side. And I I went up to Cleveland Clinic and actually, you know, got to hear you know, how they did recruitment through the people, the processes, and the technology and that's how I found out about some of the tools that we needed to use. And I brought it back to Virginia to my healthcare system and kind of started implementing that, hiring the people with the personalities that would fit with what recruiters should do. Um, you know, it's not just about, you know, walking around and being happy. It really is understanding uh, relationships and how you find these positions and find the providers you need to work with. And when I started doing that, it was much more fun than actually managing the physicians and having to deal with behavioral issues with, you know, along with the medical directors that worked with me. And that's how I kind of broke into this. Um, from there, I went to work for one of the marketing job boards and got to learn a lot from the tech side. So in working with, you know, that job board and magazine company, I got to know all the healthcare systems across the country because of the relationships and how each of them found different, you know, physicians differently in the different tools that they used. And I got to understand who our competitors were and what they did well and what we didn't do well as a job board. Um, and then really understanding the tech side of things, because I used to go to a lot of the tech meetings. Um, so I could, you know, see it's not just job boards. What else can you do to really find physicians in a different way and talk to physicians, you know, from a marketing perspective versus just constantly sending them emails and, and things like right. that. Um, it, it's just a, probably a different background than most people uh, getting into this. You mentioned a couple things that are, I think, pretty neat. One, it, it does seem like so many people in the role currently really started in something else, and mm -hmm. then they kind of got this recruiting piece put onto their desk, and it evolved into something more that you know they ended up being good at or liking. But it, it seems like a lot of that has happened. And then I, I think the other interesting thing is that's a pretty great perspective you had to be at that company and kind of see what all the different systems are doing. 
because, you know, it, it's amazing. You, you sort of think that everybody kind of does the same things, but when you really see how many, you know, different systems there are and different ways people are managing it, just even how they're managing their time, you know, what percent of their time is going to sourcing versus the more of the back end onboarding side. And it's just interesting how everybody does things so differently. It is. And just, you know, understanding that, you know, a lot of people were just thrown into it. It could be they were on the HR side of things and they're like, okay, now you're doing physician recruitment. It's like, where do I start? Um, I mean, that, that's been fun for me because when I was with practice, like one of the things that I was blessed to be able to do when we would go and do career fairs for physicians at residency programs, I would do three hour trainings for recruiters from zero uh, experience all the way into, you know, 20, 30 years of experience, kind of understand who my audience was, I would do three-hour trainings during those days and get to really understand from their perspective how they were doing things. And I don't know, that was probably the most fun part of my job because not everyone is good at everything in a recruitment yeah. role. You've got some folks who are really good at finding the candidates and learning where the sources are for specific specialties. They can hand them off to a recruiter who can actually sell the job, really talk about what's you know important to the physician and how they could fit into that organization. That's two very different roles. Some people can do both, but I'm finding that there's a lot, a lot of people who can't. So really understanding, you know, if you're a recruiter, what are you really good at? What makes you passionate about what you do? And, you know, how can you actually make that be the biggest part of your job? Um, because if you do what you really like, you tend to stay where you are and, and, you know, continue to do what you like. You know, it's funny. I was actually speaking to somebody earlier about this and it was more on the, the idea that some people will do both a recruiting position as well as a sales position on the, you know, the, the third party side. Mm -hmm. And I highly advised against it. I think what I've always said to do is look at your job and all of the things that you have to do. I mean, it's easy to say I'm a recruiter, but what is it that you're doing? You're, you're having to create jobs, put them together, put some marketing there. You're posting them, which is a lot of detailed data type work. Exactly. You are calling, texting, emailing. If you really write it down, there's probably 25 different tasks that you do as a recruiter. Yeah. And it's easy. Not easy everybody's going to gonna be good at all 25 of those tasks. No. You know, if there's any way that you can say, okay, look, let's break these up into 12 and 12. Let's get somebody who's very good at these 12, another person who's very good here. Now you're specialized and you're also not, you know, bouncing back and forth between all of these things. And it just allows you to focus a lot more. And I, and I think that's what recruitment leaders maybe don't understand a lot of times because they're thinking, I just need to hire recruiters. So I, it helped me, I think, getting some visibility into that world when I was at Practice Link. Because then when I left there, and it was, I love Practice Link, but when I left there and went back on the in-house side at Mercy, you know, when I started, there were 35 recruiters on the team. We recruited for 44 hospitals, four states. And I felt like what I needed to do, and I think it's what helped us, was to get in and learn the personalities, understand who was good at doing what, and put them in the right role. So, you know, one of the books I love is Good to Great, and it's getting them you know, people in the right seat on the bus. I think when you do that, then you can start seeing how how things grow with not only what your teams do, but with the organization. And we went from recruiting, you know, a few hundred people a 
year to over eight, between 800 and 1,000 a year for the organization in just a short amount of time. And I think people appreciate on your team that you understand what they're good at doing. Um, it's not like you're wanting to take anything away from them. It's actually putting them in a position where they can be more successful. Um, and I think that helps, you know, as you're managing up to the leaders in your organization. So they can truly see the difference that's happening based on how everyone's work style is. Yeah. And like you said, the more they, more time they can spend in that zone, the happier they're going to be, the more effective they're going to be. Yeah. And you've got retention, right. employee retention. And I think it's a exactly. big driver. So tell us a little about your, your current role. I, I know you're with a surgical group. You know, it's obviously you're still going out and finding doctors, but it's a very different thing, right? I mean, it's obviously smaller pools of these providers, exactly. more locations. How has that, you know, challenge, uh, you know, been different for you? You know, it has made me think again, how do you do recruitment differently based on the organization you're in? Um, you know, what worked for the two healthcare systems I worked with does not work for what we do because we are very specialized. It's specific surgeons that we work with. So understanding where do those surgeons go when they are looking for a job or what are they reading or what can we do to reach out to the passive ones who are not looking, but they realize when they get a message from us, you know, working there is different than what I'm doing now. So I always tell people, we're kind of locums light. We've been in business for 25 years and we partner with hospitals across the country to run their trauma ACS surg uh, uh, surgery programs based on you know specific specialties. But the whole idea behind what our team does is give the, the, the physicians the ability to have true work-life balance and that's different for each physician. Some physicians, you know, they may want to spend time with their family or they have aging parents and they've got to figure out how do they fit that into their work life? You know, some people like mission work. How can they take time off several times a year to be able to do mission work? Some are in the military. How could they actually still serve in the military but be able to provide a, a living for their families because the military physicians, you know, they get paid very well when they work outside of the military. Yeah. And that's how we actually think about all of the roles that we're looking for. What is it each position needs and where would they fit best? And it's, it's made me rethink how we do physician recruitment here. So we use similar tools that I used previously and my teams used previously, but I think how we use them and then going out and using more of the Twitters, the Instagrams, TikTok, because people are using different ways to find what they want to do now. And if there's something that can catch their eye, you know, it's like, how do we do that in a way that, makes them feel, you know, comfortable reaching out to us, you know, rather than us constantly pinging them in different ways. They're tired of emails. They're tired of texts. How do we do that differently? Yeah, no, I mean, at the end of the day, you have to go where they are. Exactly. You know, it, you can't reject any type of platform because you're not comfortable with it or you might not even like it. But yeah, you know that of, you know, a million physicians out there, there's some percent that are on there. So to ignore it completely doesn't make sense. Plus, I would imagine it's a lot easier in that you're not competing with as many people. You know, they might get 30 emails a day, yeah. but they probably don't have as many people, you know, with a TikTok or an Instagram or something like that getting in front of them. Yeah, or even going back old school. So last year with the various openings, 
Um, I have a company that I work with where they will do postcard mailers for me. Yeah. I go through and I actually look at the list that we're sending it out to based on, you know, location, ties to those locations from physicians. And I did 10 postcards last year with 10 different locations and specialties. I hired people from every one of those postcards. What the postcards had was information on our location, what we were, but then there was also a code where they could actually text directly and it would come through to our office phones and we could actually talk with them, you know, by SMS basically, and then get them in for interviews um, and talk to them that way. So it was amazing. You know, all of that noise going on with digital, we just went yeah. old school. And well, has, and you, you combined it perfectly, right? I yeah. mean, you, you, you started with the old school, but then you allowed the rest of it to go in a, you know, a tech way because yeah. it's true, right? I mean, me personally, I'd rather get a postcard than an email or a text yeah. because you get so many, you don't even see them. But if you get a postcard that's relevant to you, you'll at least get their attention for enough time to see is this something they want to pursue or not. Yeah. Or they'll hang on to it or their spouse pushes them to right. call because the spouse is thinking, I'm tired of living where I live. I want to go here. By the way, this job exactly. just came through, honey. You need to call this person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so what else? I mean, in terms of, you know, obviously there's a lot going on in the industry right now. It seems like there's more staffing firms every day. There's less doctors out there. Rates are going through the roof. Yeah. Where do you see this all shaking out in the short term in the next year or two with just the whole industry? You know, I still think um, there's a lot of changes coming, but I think physicians and providers are at the point where they just don't want to constantly be working. How can they work in ways that's good for them and their families? But I think healthcare organizations have to think of how do we handle this differently? Telehealth, I think, is still going to be a big, important part of our, our health care. I also think in looking at the different roles in healthcare, whether it's, you know, RNs or people that can work at the top of their licenses, how can they actually be used to help patients and help families uh, be able to get some of the care that they need so that when physicians and APPs are working, they're working, you know, at the top of their licenses and they can actually handle the the bigger stuff, whereas the others can make it more convenient for people, you know, when they just need some simple things that need to be done. Um, you know, RNs, for example, you know, if, if they're working in a diabetic clinic, the physicians don't need to see them, but the patients need to be able to understand, you know, how to take care of their diets, how, you know, how often should they have their hemoglobin A1Cs, what, who can take care of those things without having the physician have to be seeing, you know, seeing them every visit. You know, when a phys when a primary care doc, you know, when they have a panel of patients, there's only so many people that they can see in a day and in a year. So how do how is that going to be handled differently? And I really think we're going to have to tap into some of the existing, you know, healthcare providers um, that have different licenses to be able to do yeah. something like that. You know, another piece of that is obviously look at all of the roadblocks there are and see which ones you can break down and. You know, one that I saw consistently was the whole credentialing process. Oh, gosh. It's like, yes. you know, you have a shortage of physicians. You have somebody who is interested in coming there. There's no way that in 2023, that should be a six-month process. Yeah. You know, I, I do think that's coming. There are companies, companies starting. But when we can get credentialing on the blockchain and you can literally have a provider say, here's my key 
And then that, you know, receiving hospital can right then and there primary source everything. You literally can go from six months of credentialing to a couple of days. Yeah, and seriously. now you've got a lot more movement. You do, and every hospital has their own bylaws. So even at Mercy 44 hospitals, everyone has a different set of bylaws. So every one of them credential people differently. They might have a central verification, you know, a company that does some of the main stuff up front, but every hospital, they have to have their, their bylaws met, which absolutely didn't make sense to me. In a healthcare system, you should have the same for every hospital. And I know there's variances based on the size and, and the level, but there are some things that should be the same. You know, I've, I've I know some folks at the AMA and I've known them for years. Um, and that's one of the questions they've been asking is how can the AMA get involved to possibly help with making some credentialing that's the same across the country for hospitals? And I will say I'm in charge of our credentialing team here as well. And I think what I've seen, there's hospitals in Texas, hospitals in Georgia, hospitals in Colorado, where we've started new programs. And we've been able to get people through in three to five days based on um, the need of what's going on in the hospital. They've had CBOs. Once you actually get the applications in and we work directly with some of the leadership, we've been able to get people their tip privileges or disaster privileges so that they can hit the ground running. And then we back up and do their full privileges. So it can happen. It's based on the leadership of the hospitals and based on the processes that actually we can get people through. So we know it's possible. It's just how do you do that across the country so that, you know, patients can be seen by physicians that are qualified and not have to wait. And you know, six months is too long. They're going to move on. Yeah. Yeah. There's too many other competing too opportunities out there that can go faster. Exactly. Definitely. So obviously, again, you've been in a lot of different types of environments. If, if somebody were to say, you know, what are the top two or three traits, skills, personality types that you want to see in somebody that you're hiring to be a recruiter in your organization? What are you looking for? What do you think are good indicators that this person could probably do well in this role? Yeah, and it's not always based on their experience. Um, it's really important when you're talking with the folks you want to bring on board on your team. Um, they have to be positive. Honestly, if you're a sad sack, you're never going to be a good recruiter. You have to be positive and not just positive in general, but positive about the organization you work for and positive about how you're reaching out to physicians. You know, you can have bad days, but you should you should never feel like, you know, you, you portray that to anybody. It should always be a positive interaction. Good listening skills is so important because when you're talking with candidates, you can't just always give them what you think they want to hear. You have to be able to actually listen to what's important to them, what's important to their families. If you can't do that, you're not gonna be able to convince them that your company is gonna be good to work for because you're the first person they talk to in the organization. They're gonna remember you for the rest of their career at your organization. They'll always come back to you if they have a positive experience and you've got to, there, there are people that I talk with and my team talk with every day, and we realize we're not a good fit for them right now, but we may be in a few years. So you have to realize that up front, and then you have to be able to maintain that relationship over the next few years uh, to let them know, you know, we're still thinking about you. There's 
opportunities that might work now for right. you. But I really do think that the listening is so important. And I know people think that's simple, but listening is not telling them everything they want to hear and anticipating what you're going to say next. It's truly taking the time to hear what they're saying. And some of what they're saying, they don't actually say it, but you can actually hear it as they're portraying some of their situation. So it, it is just so important. Yeah. The other thing I, I think is just juggling multiple responsibilities. Um, you know, leaders of, of teams, um, like I've been over the years, you have different ways that you have to juggle, but recruiters, there's a lot of things they have to juggle. They have to be able to, you know, to, to, to source the candidates. They have to be able to talk to them. They have to document those conversations. They have to be able to present them to the physician leaders in a way that is understandable and that you, you know, kind of check them out the background so that you know they're going to be a good fit and not put people forward that are not the quality candidates that you need. Um, you can't waste time because, you know, if you have a candidate that he's nice on the phone, but when you look at his MPDB report is filled with 10 things that, you know, you're not going to get him credential. Um, you can't pass those candidates along. You have to, you have to be kind to them and you, you have to just be honest right now. You're not a good fit. You can't pass those along. You have to be able to move and talk to the people that are a good fit for your organization. And that sounds kind of harsh, but it is true. So you're not wasting your leadership's time or the candidate's time that you're working with. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I, I was thinking while you were kind of explaining that first part also that I always find it funny when recruiters say that they don't sell because I actually think recruiters do more selling than salespeople. Because as a recruiter, you're selling your team on the ability to fill this job. You're selling the C-suite on, you know, the funding and the resources you need to go out and find these candidates. You're selling the candidates. Then a lot of times you're selling the candidates to the CMO or whoever else, you know, might be involved in that process. So you're constantly selling, even though you are a, you know, quote unquote recruiter. Yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, I think back to, you know, to sales, hunters and farmers. You know, it goes back to people are really good at sourcing. Well, you know what? They're the hunters. The farmers are the ones that maintain those relationships <laughs> and are able yeah. to actually pass them along. So you're right. It is a sales role, whether people realize it or not. And you have to have a personality for that. You have to be able to handle rejection because there are some calls that just don't go well. And <laughs> you can't let that get to you, but you need to. You need to document it and you need to remember it. And it was, did I handle it wrong or did the candidate handle it wrong? You know, trying to figure out, you know, how, how did that happen? Because you've got to be able to move on and talk to the next person. What is the toughest part of your job? I think that in my role, probably the toughest part is when you have a really tough to fill position and you just can't get the candidate flow that you need. To me, that's the toughest part in trying to make sure we take care of these hospitals and the communities because you know there's going to be holes in the schedule that aren't covered. You know, you don't want to let your your leadership down. You don't want to let the yeah. teams in those hospitals down when you can't find someone that could be their partner and work with them. That's probably the toughest part, and it's probably just the heart that I have for being on the other side of it and realizing what happens if, if someone's not there to help take care of those patients. Um, and I think that's yeah. you know, probably the biggest thing I've seen, you know, way back when I was with Carilion in Virginia and working in the hospitals and on the practice side, 
you know, if you have to shut down services, that's a problem. So I think about that in my mind. It's not only, you know, a problem financially for the hospital, but it's a problem for the fact that the patients aren't getting the care that they need. And that that's probably the toughest part. So following up to that, and if, if you could create any tool that could do anything for you, it could, you know, find a candidate, it could interview people for you, just if you could create any tool that could be made to make your life as a recruiter easier, what would that tool accomplish for you? Yeah, and I think I think a couple of things. I kind of relate it to physicians and EMRs. A lot of times when they're documented in the EMR, if you if you don't document, you haven't done it. I feel like that's the same way with recruiters. If you can't document the exact conversations of what you're trying to document in your CRM or ATS on candidates you're talking with, I think it's a problem because you can't relay exactly what that physician's looking for and what you're trying to sell to your organization. It would be kind of nice if, as you're having the conversation, I'm not one, I like to listen, and I'm not one who likes to sit and talk and type. I do take notes, but it would be kind of nice when you're having that conversation, what can actually be like a dragon type of system that would actually document that conversation and you can actually just ship it over into your CRM without having to take all of those notes. Um, I've always thought about how do you do that? You could probably dictate, but really it's how do you probably record that conversation and dump it over into your CRM. Um, I think that would be helpful. It would also capture not just your side of the conversation and what you think about it, but it would be interesting to actually document what the physician says and how can you how can you share that with the leaders of the organization so they can kind of hear the types of questions that are being asked um, and the type of responses that are coming from the questions you ask them. Yeah, and I'm positive you'd always hear something back differently than you thought you heard it the first time. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I, I think about that. Are we always portraying the conversation when we actually put our notes in our system the way it really happened? And the answer is probably no. So if you if if there was uh, if we could treat it like an EMR and you know, ship it in there, that would be an interesting way to <laughs> to actually look at it. So what about for somebody new who, you know, obviously there have been a lot of tech layoffs lately, and you know, there's things always changing. If somebody was looking to get into this industry, how should they go about doing it? And what sort of questions should they ask themselves to see, would I be a good fit for this? Yeah, I think um, I think people think being a recruiter is, and it's funny because I used to always say this when I would go to AAPPR, you would see young ladies walk around in their high heels having fun. They think that that's what you do as a recruiter. You just kind of have fun. I would really challenge people if they want a career in recruitment, you can not only have you got to have a good career, but you can make really good money in recruitment. But I think they need to find someone who is doing it and kind of figure out, you know, can they be a mentor to them? Can they actually share with them what happens day to day in their role as a recruiter? Because some people are just thrown into it. They can be an admin working for, you know, a CEO in a hospital and they're just kind of thrown into it. And it becomes more about not actually interviewing physicians, but kind of managing 
staffing firms, search firms, but you really don't learn by doing that. I think they really need someone that they can talk with because let's face it, if they find out it's something they want to do through some type of a mentorship, getting a job as a recruiter, it's about who you know. I hate to say that, but it really is about who you know. So if you're tapping into someone that has done it for a while or at least has a job in physician recruitment, I think the chances of you being able to get into it is going to be a lot higher than just applying for every recruitment job that you see because people, they look and they see that you don't have the experience. And right. you can't get experience if people won't consider you, but you can actually get experience if somebody recommends you. You know, it's actually one of the reasons I created this podcast is just to kind of get more visibility around what we do, you know, especially with COVID and people working from home. So many people are just at their desk. They're isolated. They're doing their own thing. You know, at least now you start having the trade shows come back again. But, you know, you might only get in front of people one or two times a year, maybe a big yeah. national show and then a regional show. So my goal was to create something that, you know, people could see each other out talking about what are they doing, what's working, what's not. Maybe somebody new to the industry could say, you know, oh, that, that sounds like a, a role that I would like. Sounds interesting. You know, maybe I'll reach yeah. out to that person or, you know, I, I didn't realize it was that tough. You know, maybe this really isn't for me. So now I want to try to get all different kinds of people and roles in our industry on to I basically kind of get all that knowledge yeah. and information going and put it out there. I love that. And really, I, I do think people networking and keeping involved, you know, whether it's LinkedIn or, you know, we do have a mentoring program through AAPPR and I have a few folks that I talk with once a week, once every couple of weeks, and they're newer into, into you know, recruiting. And it's just kind of nice to kind of ask where you are now, what are you doing, what tools do you use? And once you kind of find all of that out, you know, talking them through, well, these are the specialties you're looking for. So these are some of the tools that might work better. Let's have you go here. And I mean, it's just kind of nice being yeah. able to guide those people because when you've been doing it for as many years as I have from different perspectives, it's kind of nice being able to share that knowledge, but also see them going back, working with their leadership and how, you know, successful they are becoming. And I think that's satisfying for me because I feel like I've had a little piece in, you know, helping their organization be successful. And it's a relationship that I love because I just kind of love seeing people succeed. Well, I think it becomes a pay it forward also, right? Because it I would is. imagine that, you know, 90% of the people that are in that program are probably going to sign up to be in that program as a mentor eventually or, or do some other form of that. So yeah, it, it is a good idea to get ideas from outside of your own system too, you know, it is. I'm sure everybody has, you know, a trainer or a mentor in their organization, but you know, a lot of times it's, it seems like with physician recruiters, you have people that sort of do it for a year or two and then they get out and then yeah. most everybody else has been there for a long time. And when you're in a job for 20 years at the same place, you do kind of get tunnel vision around you know, what you works, know, I think what's you get out stagnant. there. So, yeah. <laughs> and I think, you know, I think, you know, I was at Corrine Yeah. I was thinking I was at Corrine 15 years. I was at Practice Link 7. And then here I was at Mercy. Now I'm here. Um, you know, I've been doing this since the late 1980s, early 90s. So I've been doing it a while. But I think what 
I've been blessed with is the fact that I have been able to see it from different organizational perspectives. And I think that keeps you fresh. I mean, I think the world of everybody, you know, keeping their jobs for 25 years at the same organization, I think it's great. But I also wonder, you know, what, if I would stayed at Carillion forever, would I have had as much fun as I've had over the past few years learning how to right. do this differently? And the contacts that you make and the relationships that you make with people across the industry, whether it's, you know, for with locums companies, with search firms, with tech companies. I mean, I think I've been blessed in having a different type of relationship with people because of that. Well, it's such a small world. You know, I mentioned I was talking to somebody earlier. So this is someone that I met at a trade show years ago. I was running a locums company. He was a salesperson for a lead company. Long story short, we ended up becoming friends, spoke. He ended up becoming, you know, somebody at a locums company. I'm now into something different and he's actually a partner of ours. So exactly. everything comes together in our industry. Well, it does. And that's why relationships are so important. You know, I believe, you know, you meet people for a reason and some of them are just in your life for a season, but you never know when your paths are going to cross again. And that's why I think it's so important to have good relationships with people. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean you're going to talk to them every day, but you know, in a few years, I know that if there's someone I need to reach out to, they're going to take my call. Um, and the same for them. And I think you have to support people that way. Yeah. Because it is a so small industry. I, I don't know if you remember, but you and I actually met, I guess, about six years ago. I had been putting together, it was like a goal setting for recruiters course. And we were going to try to put something together to have it up at Mercy. And now here we are six years later on a podcast and, you know, different roles and the small world. It is. It is a small world. And I do believe yeah. you're right. I think paying it forward is important. And you know what? It's all about how do we help each other. And I'm a big believer if we help each other, then you know what? Someone's going to return the favor. So absolutely, I just, I just believe that. And I think yeah. as you're working with physicians and providers, I think it's the same way. You know, you have to consider each of them as an individual and what's important to them. And that's how you have to manage every one of the conversations that you have. Yeah. So last question, and this to be related to recruiting or not, but what is one recommendation you have for the audience? This can be a place, a restaurant, a book, a movie, a gadget, any recommendation you have and why? You know, I'm big into a lot of books and all of that, but ever since I worked at Practice Link, we worked with a company called The Table Group. And Pat Lencioni is the, is the CEO of The Table Group. And he has different ways that he goes into organizations and help you develop and work with your teams. I, I'm just still a big fan of his. I read all of his books, you know, but he has a new assessment that's out called The Working Genius. And it's an assessment that truly looks into not only what your personality type is, but what you are good at doing as an individual so that as you're putting your teams together, how do you build teams that make a great team to work with? So you have different skills, different expertise. And these are the type of assessments I think that can help people understand what they're good at doing. And when you take this assessment, it's kind of amazing. It's like, that is me. I just didn't know what to call it before. That's why I don't like doing this. I can do it sometimes, 
that I prefer not doing it all of the time, which it makes you less miserable at work when you're doing more of what you like to do. And when you have to do the things you don't like, you're not as miserable because you still spend most of your time doing the things you like. And I think yeah. that's probably one of the things I've been working on this year with my team here. I've actually recommended it to several companies um, with, with recruiters to kind of so they can understand the people and their teams and what they're good at doing. Yeah, no, he, he's great. I mean, I've read some of his stuff. I, I've not done any assessments or anything like that. So it's definitely something I'm going to be looking up. So definitely appreciate that one. Yeah, um, very cool. Very cool. And I still go back to the to the book, Good to Great. I can't tell you how many times I've read yeah. that book. And every time I read it. It's a red read cover it. on it, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's one it's of a my good favorites. One. But it is, you know, I don't know. You get the people in the right seat on the bus and you can – you can do so much um, as an organization. Absolutely. Well, Tammy, it's been an honor. It's been fantastic having you on. Um, always love connecting with you. You shared a lot of really good stuff. I, th I think there's definitely some key things here that people can you know, pick out and use for some different areas. So certainly appreciate it. And, um, you know, love to have you on maybe in the future and definitely we'll be connecting with you um, you're going to AAPPR in Austin, yeah, right? Yeah, I will see you there. Awesome. But thank you for having me. This is fun. Yeah. And always connect. connecting with you is such a pleasure. You're just, uh, you're a wealth of knowledge and you're appreciate one of my go-to people. Appreciate that very much. All right, guys. Thank you very much. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Until next time.